to the second episode of Lost in the Lockdown. Hope everybody's okay for those on with me now and also for those listening. So the format going forward will be two episodes a week, we've decided, because pilot part one and two felt it's only necessary to keep going with the duos, gets through it quicker as well. But also I feel that um, they often work better if you talk about two at a time, I think a lot of the plot lines follow on quite neatly into one another. So it's just a bit, a better way to go through the show. Um, so yeah, kicking it off first off, I'll hand over to Scott with a few stats, Statman Scott. <laughs> so episode three <laughs> of lost, uh, is tabula rasa, which is Latin for, is it clean slate or something like that? I don't know. I might be, might be wrong. I think it's blank slate. Blank slate. It? Yeah. Something like that. Um, it was directed by Jack Bender, who was a pretty prolific director on Lost. I think he did at least like a dozen, maybe more episodes. And it's written by our mate Damon Lindelof. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it aired on the 6th of October, 2004. So cast your mind back. What was you doing that day? You <laughs> um, um, <laughs> was probably in school when you Tom. I was... I was 12. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to bring my age into this because I didn't want to make anyone feel bad, but yes, I was 12. I mean, you must have you must have had to rewatch this several times through your teenage years to kind of fully appreciate it. Because at 12... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I could go on forever, but in a nutshell, when I first watched it, it was just like a kooky, weird island where everyone had a dirty little secret and it was a bit <laughs> drama-ish. I was like, okay, that sounds good. And I mean, at the time, I was watching stuff like The O.C., so it just kind of felt like a logical <laughs> step up, almost. Um, yeah, so, and um, viewership. Uh, funny, this is quite interesting because the viewership was 16.5 million people, which was approximately half a million down from the previous episode, which was pilot part two. So it's quite interesting that mm. a lot of people dropped off the following yeah. week. Um, uh, I think that's how it often is sometimes, you know, with pilots. They always obviously get a big initial rating yeah. and then it's it's often how it's not a case of maintaining it in the first season. It's how how quickly can you stop the decline? Yeah. So I think there's there's going to be like peaks and troughs in, um, especially with like the first season. But uh, I've not read every single viewership figure yet. I've not got that sad, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, the following episode was 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 up, but uh, yeah, I'll speak about that later on. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, it was actually the ninth highest rating uh, show in the uh, high, ninth highest rated show of the week. So that's quite low down um, mm. in terms of ratings. Um, I didn't find out what was top because internet didn't want to show me for some reason. <laughs> um, I'm going to have a look. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of digging around just to find some specific facts for the week, but um, it didn't yield much. But yeah, so um, as I say, Jack Bender directed quite a lot of significant episodes of Lost um, from memory from 20 minutes ago. I can't recall any of the ones, but he was certainly, <laughs> I think he was kind of like pretty... the in-house directors that they had. I think he went on to do a lot of Game of Thrones as well. Actually, he's definitely a name I'm familiar could... with, but yeah, it's probably yeah. Another quite I don't know if it is Game of Thrones, but it feels like he's he's done other stuff. 
I'll just have a look now whilst I'm quickly. Oh, he's done. Um... Yeah, I'm having a look through. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, probably about looking at this about thirty episodes of Lost. Oh wow, at least. And then yeah. Couple of episodes of Game of Thrones. It, uh, Sopra- yeah, only the two. Sopranos. Thrones, yeah. Sopranos. He's done a couple of as well. That's what I just remembered. Yeah, oh, wow. Sopranos. Sopranos. So about thirty episodes are lost, which means he did about a thir- He directed about a quarter of the show. Hundred and twenty-one episodes in total. So I think he was probably wow. an executive producer, producer as well. Towards towards the end of it, he probably was quite high up. Yeah. yeah it would have been definitely. So yeah, that's my. Well, that ob- sorry, sorry, go on. Yep, yeah. I'll just say <laughs> no, so. That's, that's my that's my quick stats for Tabitha Rasa. <laughs> Smash it. So those like those viewing figures are great. Sorry, sorry. No, go for it. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say like that. Those viewing figures. What did you say? Sixteen point six or something 5 like that. Sixteen point five. Like that sounds mm. crazy. It does. Like I don't think there's any show now that would get that no. that kind of numbers. No, definitely not. And I mean, you got to think about it as well. But I guess. I guess it's because. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> keep interrupting. But it's like I guess it's like, again. It's because it's it's a like a network show. Yeah. I guess mm-hmm. again, it keeps, it keeps coming back. To that you know, th- those are the ones that people always tend to watch. Whereas something like, well, yeah, you mentioned Sopranos or even Game of Thrones. You know, because they're on HBO. Yeah. You know, there's 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 less of a viewership, I guess, or maybe there was then, maybe not so much now. But I don't think even Game of Thrones maybe got like sixteen million. I think towards, but I could be wrong. I, I don't towards know. the end, they would get, they would. I think the fight, the finale would was about that a much, but when it first began, it was like two really? two million, if that. Shit. Uh, yeah. You see, that's what always made me laugh know. because. HBO were clearly raking it in because if you think about it, obviously you've got to pay for a HBO subscription and then all of a sudden you've got 16 and a half million mm. live viewers. <laughs> and then like you say, you, you've got to translate that into whatever network stats are. I can't even think of anything that touches 10 million these days, let alone no. 16 million. Well, so... the pilot, the, open, the first part of the pilot was 18 million. So that was kissing 20, 20 million. Which is crazy. That's all, that's a, it is, that's, and yeah, also when nuts. one thing I th- this is just off my memory, which is a bit sad, but you know, Firefly got cancelled at nine million viewership. You know, those are the kind of figures you're playing around with, and that <laughs> you know, Firefly was oh three, oh two, oh three. Yeah. So it's around this time. So to think back then that shows were getting cancelled with that higher viewership compared today, where you had something like I guess. Hannibal yeah. is the first thing that comes to mind because I'll never ever give up on that coming back. But you know, that was getting to a point where, like, uh-huh. by the end of the first season, I think less than two million watched it. So that's crazy. It's mad. Figures have just it completely is. changed TV. Like they, they, they're so such a fine yeah. line as well. Clearly, yeah. I think I think back when, especially when like Tabula Rasa aired and we'll probably walk up. In fact, the majority of the the early seasons have lost. You know, it would have been about the people watching it, but nowadays I think it's more the advertising. It's what share of the, you know, the advertising is happening at that specific time. Yeah, that they go on. Oh, so if you put, if you put like an episode of Lost on now, it probably wouldn't. I don't know why, but it probably wouldn't hit the same way. Because you got to remember as well, we weren't streaming then, were we? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's it. Not as many people tune into it on the um, when it airs. They'll wait and they'll play it back on uh, on demand or or stream service mm. later on. So i don't know if you remember something's just come to come to mind actually did you like when it used to be on channel four you used to watch that episode but then immediately after on e4 they'd have the episode after i don't know if you remember that <laughs> I, I remember that but I, I don't think i did that because obviously i was still i was still torrenting for at least the first three seasons <laughs> yeah I, I i remember yeah that's right i remember that that was crazy yeah like channel channel four used to do that with quite a few shows i think yeah, I think um, you're right. Because I remember when the first season of Lost was on, like when it started on Channel 4, I think they showed it like three times a week. They like showed it on a Wednesday night and then it was repeated on a Sunday and then at, at some other point in the week. And I think I watched it every single time. <laughs> so I watched, I watched that one episode of Lost three times in the same week. One thing I kept remembering, especially in my current rewatch, I'm back end of season one now, but... um. It's just amazing how much I must have watched this first season because, you know, when you get the teasers at the start, you know, like the previously on Lost stuff, I can remember every single aspect of it. And then because I've remembered that, I'm like, I know which episode I'm on, which is just ridiculous <laughs> because <laughs> that just throws the whole nerd thing up in the air. I mean, I'm like that with um, but like, I was... it's, it's like when I see the cold yeah. open, I know exactly which episode it is even though the cold open normally has no relevance to the actual episode itself. So yep. I, 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 th- I think in terms of comedy, I'm the same with like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. I've watched that over and over so many times. And as soon as something comes on, I'll be like, yep, know exactly when that is. <laughs> right. So shall we kick it off then? Tabula Rasa. So um, third episode. And I guess the first one really where we have significant start of the flashbacks first and a proper one it's the first proper one and we are blessed with the character of miss kate austin so oh, what was everyone's that. thoughts about this episode <laughs> i love kate <laughs> i love kate in this episode <laughs> she's like yes me too I, I know it's kind of like i don't know it might it might sound a bit uh a bit shallow but she is adorable in this episode regardless of her um her career choices or her life choices. Um, now I thought she was great in this episode, and it's um, it was interesting to see um, straight. But they, they did kind of leave things lingering in terms of um, her past. They kind of got straight into it, and they just wanted to just establish her her backstory, um, which I thought was really brave. Because um, a lot of shows will drag these kind of things out. These big, we'll, we'll call it a twist. Um, the twist of Kate's characters kind of unveiled quite or unraveled quite quickly, which is I found it quite refreshing at the time. Well, and obviously mm. watched it back. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, especially following on from the pilot, because I think it's in part two where you get a a bit of her. Well, especially when she's on the plane. Anyway, that's the flashback of those episodes, isn't it? Where they were on the plane and crashing. Yeah. Um, but you get that knowledge that she was a prisoner for some reason um and then obviously that feeds almost immediately into those flashbacks and i think as well like you say that it's just it's refreshing that it it almost doesn't feel like it's a twist in a way because they're just they're just burning through material but in a very like we said last week kind of efficient way yeah it's very efficiently done you could probably argue make the argument that okay well we've got like 
10 characters in this ensemble cast, so we kind of need to get everyone established fairly quickly. And based on the, the title of the of the episode, it's about starting over. So and I, I guess Kate was a pretty good um, personification of that in terms of they've arrived on this island. I think Jack does this, this quote, I think Jack does a quote, it might be in episode four when he's speaking to Rose, and he says, like, we all died like, when that plane crashed. And it's quite significant, I reckon, because they pretty much did. They're all like, their lives don't really, what they had before doesn't really matter at the moment, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the flashbacks, I always thought they were just a really interesting device to, to base every episode around. Um, like I'm sure, like I can't think of any, but I'm sure lots of shows did it before. But Lost is the first one that that always comes to mind when you mention flashbacks. Um, I guess it's it was sort of the thing that Lost became known for. I guess like even right up until the end, um, they're not flashbacks. Then you know we 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 can get into that later, but they always have something like a, a side story. I think that's maybe sort of Lost's defining trait. I, I've written gimmick, but it, I don't think it's fair to call it a gimmick. But um, no. yeah, I just like it, it's it's fascinating. Although the the flashbacks are always the reason I've struggled doing a rewatch before this, because like I know all the information already, so it's not as it's not as fun to watch sometimes if if I, I'm on a rewatch. I get what you um, mean, yeah. So which is why I'm glad that we're doing this because it, it forces me to to watch the episodes. Um, but like, I just love them as a as a as a device. Um, yeah, yeah. Just I know it's just a, just the the whoosh sound effect that takes you into them. It's just like, oh yeah, forgot all about this, and it's like they look. It's just it's just nice to see the backstory done in a way that's not just exposition. Yeah, and I think I think that's definitely the main takeaway from the pilots as well. Is it, it never felt like they were just throwing information at you. It was very done in a very natural way. And I think with the flashbacks as well, they are, mm-hmm. they either, I'm, and I'm getting the sense of this from rewatching the season as a whole anyway, they either feed into the main island story, which they often do, and then there are a couple of blips where it's just kind of, we're not really sure how to tie this into what's happening right now on the island, but it's still a bit of an origin for said character. So you are getting a general idea about them and then they do, as they go on, get better at it. But I mean, with this one, like you've already said, Scott, it's like the idea of starting over what, you know, and Kate's obviously very not not trusting of people and rightly so because the bloody farmer rats <laughs> her out. <sighs> it upset me that. I don't know why, it just really angered me. Was there not, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there was a continuity error this early on i might be completely wrong but go on uh i'm pretty sure kate says to jack that she's a veggie and she's eating bacon and eggs with the farmer <laughs> i'm gonna google that now Chris. <laughs> although maybe she's a veggie on the plane i don't know <laughs> yeah. she just decided it so it's uh, no longer a continuity please, error miss me too much oh okay so i think scott's right but it's not this ep- so yeah in this episode she's eating the bacon and eggs in the flashback with ray the farmer it's in walkabout the next episode that oh, we'll discuss okay. <laughs> that she reveals she is a vegetarian but the point still stands oh, okay oh oh dear oh, mr lindelof what are you playing at i guess it ties with the boar in 
walk about, I've got to go hunting for the ball. Yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay. But but generally uh, speaking... This is Trixie. She could just be lying. <laughs> I always thought the marshal was really cool. I know he's a bit of a dick, but, you know, he's only doing his job, really. He's just a bit of an arse about it. I love how he gets <laughs> such a bad rap in this in this episode. <laughs> because he does. He does. Not Sawyer's trying to kill him, and he... <laughs> <laughs> is it this episode yeah, by the way let yeah. me just re- refresh my mind is it is this the episode where he he doesn't kill him right or is that the next one <laughs> oh, i'm trying to think I'll, i'm trying to i'm trying to think even i watched it last night uh um, no no it is it is, this is it this episode yeah we'll get to that in a little bit yeah. but that I, I don't they treat that so seriously in the show and i was just laughing my ass off yeah. at that i just uh, oh it's such a sire thing to happen isn't it? <laughs> and it's just so a pit like, this character. and jack's like oh look four days but yeah you're gonna suffer <laughs> and then literally in the space of two minutes he walks out and there's the silence and he's just like is he gone and he's like yep <laughs> oh we'll let it slide but i think what obviously you've got the main uh twist well follow on from the twist of the previous episode that being guys where are we that immortal line said by charlie and the french transmission um and I believe this is the episode where they don't want to tell the survivors initially about this transmission because they don't want to cause panic. Um, and then it follows into a variety of arguments and revelations. Hurley finds out about Kate's mugshot yeah, and so on and so forth. So you've got that very, I don't know if you agree or anything, but that very natural, um, almost like info dumping, you know, like very natural feel that people are finding things out about one another even this early on in the series yeah just natural just not discovery just through regular means you know finding pictures or documents you know you could just like general life really you can find things out without needing someone to actually like verbally spell it out for you this is what this person is like you just kind of the characters explore the people around them by um exploring the island effectively and the wreckage and they just you know because hurley is it like hurley and claire's collecting up bits from the wreckage. for the fuselage yeah, yeah yeah so it's a good plot device that to find out more stuff about the characters and this i think oh sorry go on, go on john it, we know because we've seen the series before like we what the characters are called but it's quite strange because some of the other characters haven't actually met each other yet uh, so at, at this point in the show if we were watching it for the first time we wouldn't know what some of these characters are called like we just know oh that's um australian pregnant woman <laughs> you know um but i just thought it was very very strange like the the character introductions on the show are are often our first look into who these people are um, and it, it just feels very natural, you know. It's it's like an awkward meet cute. It just happens to be on a <laughs> <laughs> monster infested well, island. I think Jin and Sun have been actually named because we know we know that Sun we know yeah. that Sun can speak English, but neither um, of them have interacted mm-hmm. um, in English with any other characters. So yeah, we still don't know who they are specifically. Um, but no, you're right. I know it's because I don't think Claire's named until Walkabout. I don't think officially. Um, yeah, and she's like Ooh, one of the most central fit, uh, characters for you know the first few seasons. Um, yeah. yeah, 
and also but i guess it's just a a, a (laughs) symptom of the really large cast i guess um which is one of its its strengths as well but uh, again saying that we're only on episode three here so i guess you know spacing out the the introductions of the cast is is a pretty good way to go about it because otherwise you it would just feel like a big massive info dump i mean that's a good point actually because you've got you've got to think about it as well this early on they're trying to do flashbacks and an origin story for one character on their own but then everything on the island is happening whilst like you say you've got to introduce certain characters as well and it's like how much can the audience take and i think it runs a very fine line but it works Oh, 60 million can manage <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly this yeah it's a testament definitely the, the, the viewership for the next episode i think is like five hundred thousand up so oh, okay so, so go to opta index again but so it, clearly it's <laughs> the, the format the way that it was written it it worked really well um yeah sorry <laughs> no it's fine it's fine i think my next my next point that i had written down was this was probably this one of the main um well no the origins of michael getting not bothered by walt but at least immortalizing his his main line of the whole series really because i think he gets a bit pissed off that walt's talking to Locke, yeah and says stay you stay away from that man and that's just a very very familiar line throughout the entire first season (laughs) well michael's a dick anyway i can't stand michael and he's Obviously, we're going to get to his like his ultimate fate, um, but I hate him anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, <laughs> but ironically, I mean, he had by he had bad vibes at Locke, and he's kind of right if you look, if you look on it mm-hmm. on the whole, but not not entirely yeah. right, but kind of right. Locke was a bit of a uh, what we call like a maybe a bit of a bad egg, but maybe not entirely because it wasn't him, but. We could jump it forward, but I like I, I do try to look for like foreshadowing this early on. Same, because um, there's a debate about the when you know when the writer strike happened in like 07, 08 and lost was mm-hmm. like victims of that. Um, people were obviously then starting to uh, cast their eye over you know continuity errors and things like that. But I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot of the stuff that was introduced, the themes and the um, characters. And where they were heading, it is it is kind of a lot of it is good foreshadowing for what's going to happen to them. I find, well, that's what I found anyway. No, I totally agree. And and like we've already had the idea of duality with the with Batgammon introduced in the pilot. Obviously, that's a, a massive thread throughout the whole series. Hmm. But I mean, I'm just trying to think of other things in this episode. That's that's just another great think. thing, the, the Batgammon thing, because it's such a simple plot device. The duality of yeah, man, good and evil, but you can you can extend that out, and you can elaborate on that so much, and it's just like a it's a tropey concept, uh, like it's a concept trope of a lot of shows, a lot of films. So, um, but yes, yeah, how you use that, yeah, and whether and whether they meant to, but obviously it's definitely ties into the whole Jacob and Man in Black thing, which we come to see much later on in the series. But Jacob being, I guess, white, white and light. And obviously, the man in black being a dark epitome of darkness and evil. So, Funny I've got enough, that going for you. Off topic. Yep. While I was doing my research, um, yeah. Or, sorry, my like Wikipedia. Um, I did find some <laughs> interesting facts about 2004. Um, they're both related, 
but I saw the most popular boys' names recorded for the US in 2004. <laughs> Guess what it was? Don't tell me, Walt. Well, <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a name affiliated with the show. So uh, okay, in the US, it was Jacob. Okay. And guess oh, what? It was in the UK the same year. Charlie, Jack. Ooh. Oh, really? Okay. So I don't know if that's a <laughs> if that's a, a proven, um, <laughs> proven lost lost it tantalized pop culture in yeah, such a way. Yeah. It kind of had its influence on the world. <laughs> but I will say, I think at its peak in the UK, and again, this is totally unheard of for UK. TV. I think it reached nearly six million viewers an episode, something daft like that. I'd have to double check that, obviously, but I do uh, think it did get that high at its peak. I wouldn't be that surprised if it was more, because think about it, Channel Four. It's it's a free channel that most people would, would have had. It's not. It wasn't a yeah a premium channel yet to get on the subscription or like Sky or Virgin. So, uh, yeah, I would say easily. I'm just gonna have a quick look. See if I can find anything. Like it, I think, yeah, I think back back when it was on Channel Four for the first two seasons, like we didn't have Sky at the time, and when it moved to Sky, I think that's whenever like my my parents decided, okay, we're gonna get. Well, I say my parents, it was me and my dad. We're like, we're gonna get Sky in because <laughs> we're not we're not messing lost. <laughs> I used to go around my mate's house because I was the I was same, but I I just I just lived with my mum. And uh, she couldn't afford it at the time, so I was like, "How am I going to watch Lost?" I yeah. was exactly the same. She was like, "Do you have any friends who watch?" I'm like, "We all watch it." And it, she was like, "Well, just arrange to go around there it's every night." And I'm like, oh, "Mate, can I come around and watch Lost?" He's like, "Okay." <laughs> right, I can't. I can't. F- oh wait, United Kingdom. So, okay, so. In season one, generally speaking, in the United Kingdom on Channel 4, the premiere uh, averaged around 6.75 million. And then the finale was about 5.3. What, the, the season one or the show finale? Yeah, the season, sorry, season one finale, apologies. Okay. So, it, you know, throughout the whole season, I'd imagine it, you know, between those two nut figures, basically. Yeah. Mad. You won't get that now. No, not even for you know. <laughs> Channel Four's like diamond, diamond jewel. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, definitely. So what anyway, else back before everything was on what was streaming it? or whatever. Just back before streaming really took off. You know? Oh yeah, definitely. As I say, it. Like the, the the whole water cooler thing, but everybody watched Lost and everybody talked about it, so oh, so uh, good, so good. Like that advert was, that was absolute ball. Bag. Oh, oh yeah, that was Ooh, yeah. that was something. Yes, I watched that as well. <laughs> and that was for that was only for us like in the I, UK. I think I said last week. I thought it was. I think so. That looks. It looked like a very expensive advert that would just be made for Channel Four. But I, yeah. I did some research. It was something else. <laughs> I did some research as oh, really? as one would, and it was filmed. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think it's uh, his surname is Chappelle. He is a fashion designer. He was a fashion designer, and he wanted 
Um, Imagine that Dave Chappelle directing. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was literally. Bear with me two seconds because I'm like, this ain't Dave Chappelle, is it? <laughs> no, it'd be really funny if it were, if it was. I'm sure it was called Chappelle. Hold on a second, I'm trying to find it. But basically, he wanted to kind of try and do some foreshadowing with the dancing and the idea that they kept swapping partners and to kind of foreshadow various things within their characters. But interestingly, Kate's not, uh, not Kate, sorry, I'm getting my characters mixed up. Claire's not pregnant in it either, in that um, teaser. Oh, okay. But I just thought it was really oh, funny how Locke was like the, the the orchestra. He was like leading the orchestra, just stood there. And I'm like, there's fire on the, f- oh, it was, it was an interesting ad, right? I can't find it, but it was definitely done by like some fashion dude. <laughs> Oh dear! It definitely <laughs> was with a um, like a, a fragrance advert. You know, like yeah, because even in the voiceover, they're all whispering, and yeah. you can just imagine them like going L'Oreal, <laughs> or like <laughs> I don't, I don't know brands that well, but you know what I mean. It's just very silly. And then obviously we've got our yeah. mate Booney in there dancing with everyone. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to it, but I've just watched his bloody episode and it's 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 not good. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get to that in due course. So, I thought it was quite fun. Yep. <laughs> no, no, I just thought it was quite fun. Um, like they start setting up what will become, I guess, uh, the set for much of the first season. You know, they're they're sort of repurposing the plane to make we shelters, and it's like on a show like this, you don't really have a set as such but it's it's just it's quite nice to see that that forming that starting the 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 familiar locations you know it's like oh that's that's where so-and-so sleeps that's where they keep all the food that's where they do all this i just thought it was quite quite fun for a show that's essentially set on the beach for much of the first season that that they're setting up these identifiable landmarks that, that you'll that you'll recognize week in and week out yeah yeah i agree and i think i think you get that when you Especially again, especially where I am currently in the rewatch, you you know the camera often stays the same when it kind of goes to Sawyer's tent, for example, or goes to where Jin and Sun are. There are all these recognizable spots, so I think that's a really good point, actually, because you know ultimately they divide up and go to the caves, which we'll get to. But you know, there's that split, and then you're starting to get these more these these locations and branching out into what this island could be. I think it's clearly um, it's clearly a, a purpose a purpose um, purposeful thing that they've done because so it, it obviously even though they might just they're all just tents and like kind of um, temporary shelters, but the way they're framed and the way they the way the, the viewer sees it, you instantly f- are familiar with it, regardless of whether the characters there or not. So if you saw one character who wasn't in their own tent and someone else's tent, you know that they're not in the do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's just that way of familiarizing yourself with the location because they're all going to look the same to a degree. So it's just a clever way of yeah. establishing that. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just one point that I've just uh, realized as well further, uh, I guess, lending to what will become the mythology of the series, just off the point of duality, um, the whole blank slate concept, Tabula Rasa, uh, was actually attributed to the philosopher known as John Locke regarding how he believed humans are born without built-in mental content and therefore fill, um, 
learn from their life experiences, essentially. Don't tell me what I can't do. Exactly. Look at this. Lindelof. So it's getting even better, isn't it? <laughs> Lindelof, you're a hack. <sighs> Everyone slags him off, but have you seen Watchmen? <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, I know anyway. it's slightly kind of off topic, but um, I liked it, but then it kind of just disappointed me at the end. <laughs> I'd have to rewatch it. Well, I'd loved it, and but I can see where you're coming from. Is all I'll say, and I'll leave it that one at the door for now. I was just like, you know, in awe of that soundtrack because I will worship the tre- the feet of uh, Trent Reznor any day of the week. So, but that's that's getting off topic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll move on slightly to what we've already had a good giggle about, I guess, but the marshal's pain begins to sadly worsen and um, his, his screams of pain did disturb the survivors. I, I thought it was quite amusing how he was screaming for pain. And I think it's Shannon who was like, Oh my God, won't he just shut up? <laughs> and you just think, oh, go, you're a terrible. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, go away. Shut up. Go suntan or whatever. But then you've also got this whole thing with like Kate who's, you're almost like, is she? Does she want to kill him? Because at that point, I think it's only Jack that really knows, and maybe Hurley about who she is. I can't really remember actually, if I'm Just, perfectly honest with you. But I can't remember. But to... yeah, no, no. Sorry, Jack, you're right. Oh no, sorry. I was just saying it, it is. I think it's this is where the episode where Hurley finds out and sort of freaks out about it. Yeah. Um. But I think like by the time the the decision comes around, you know where she goes to speak to him uh just the two of them i think the flashback has sort of done the work so that you know that she won't do it you know um yeah. i think i think it's 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 done enough good storytelling with you know her pulling the the farmer out of the the, the car that you know that this isn't the type of person she is it, it like the whole episode really hammers home the the fugitive with a heart of gold type thing yeah um so i think by that stage you know it's not going to be her Maybe that's maybe that's just me. I don't know, but um, no, I definitely, I definitely yeah, got was, that vibe. I, was, I remember definitely got that vibe, and I think it's just it also reiterates kind of Sawyer's. Um, I don't want to say can-do attitude. I'm trying to think of the right way, way right way to describe him. He's more proactive I, than ooh. most of the others. Is yeah. The... Well, ironically, and I, I guess pun intended, trigger happy. Literally and you know metaphorically, I guess itchy, he, itchy he is. Finger, yeah, yeah, itchy trigger finger. He's straight into that. He's straight into that. But also as well, I, I've just remembered like you've got a bit more fleshing out of Jack in this as well because obviously he's at that point where I don't know if is this. I don't know if this is meant to be set a couple of days after they've crashed or is it kind of in the immediate aftermath of the pilot. But he's still in that hero mode that we mentioned last week where he's doing his absolute utmost to do everything even to the point where it's breaking him he clearly can't manage it yeah and you just it's just these little little mannerisms that are being thrown out at you that are obviously going to lend themselves to the series later on yeah this matthew fox has these moments where even though we discussed last week that he's got a very likable way about him, like in the way he, both the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he, he kind of um, 
he conducts himself as, as Jack, but there's little moments in this episode where you see his face and he looks like he's actually suffering, like he's really struggling, but he kind of pulls himself back mm-hmm. from the brink and composes himself. It's really interesting. I, I just, I've not noticed it um, until you know, I start to rewatch it, but I found it, I just, it's something I picked up on. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've just remembered, John, what you mentioned last week about how when he, literally at the very start of the series, when he wakes up for the first time, does he stop for a minute to let the fear in? I didn't check that. Oh, the five-second rule. <laughs> the five-second rule, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah I, I might have to check that for next time. Well, um, Jack, um, speaks to Rose, or was it Walkabout? Uh, that's an that's walkabout. Time. That's walkabout. Yeah. So we get into. We'll just get to the. Po- I, thought, I thought the. Uh, sorry, go. On. Oh, sorry, no, no. I was just just uh, on on Sawyer going into the tent as well. I thought it it showed up the. Uh, I guess the the bravado of him. You know, he, he thinks he's the man that can get the the job yeah. sorted, but he just mucks <laughs> it up, which I think fits with his character later on because he's he's meant to be the isn't he a con man? Yes. Like, am I remembering that? Yeah, he is. He is. So I think it sort of fits into his character a bit. Um, that he's that he's all all mouth and no treasures. Yeah. Oh, definitely. He's all bravado. I think that also starts. I guess it begins what will be the strange love triangle you have between Sawyer, Jack, and Kate, because she's called upon Sawyer because, like you say, mm-hmm. he's got that bravado about him. He's got that can-do attitude. He's got that itchy trigger finger. He can put this guy out of his misery because obviously. I think I think the marshal basically asks her to put him out of his misery because he's in so much pain. He's he's clearly going to die anyway, no matter what Jack is is capable of. He's not going to be able to keep him alive. But I guess I don't I don't know if there's intentional humor in Sawyer missing the shot. But I just think it's how we watch it nowadays. At the time, I think I thought, oh my god, I think you know that's it, that's a yeah. So I think a lot of it stems from just Sawyer's reaction, like when he comes out. <laughs> yeah, and he, he he's com- he's convinced he's done it, isn't he? He's like, I did what every- nobody else could do, and then you just hear the blood curdle in his his marshal's mouth, and you're like, oh no, yeah, oh no, and it's like he's already in pain, and what's he done? Like perforated his lung or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, sorry. I think and I'm then so- sorry, Tom. No, 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 you go, Scott, it's fine. I was going to say, it's um, it's kind of, uh, it starts, it sows those seeds of, Jack, even though it's quite a, it's a, obviously it's a serious thing, you know, it's a man's life, but the way that scene plays yeah. out, Sawyer looks, he's got egg on his face, and Jack doesn't have to do anything, and immediately he looks better, he looks better and that must really piss him off. Um, <laughs> just thought it was really clever, yeah. a way of doing it. Yeah. And that adds that friction that obviously goes on throughout the series, especially the first season, because like Sawyer's like he's public enemy number one, really, for like the early part anyway yeah. of season one. So th- it's just a way of building up all this shit against him so that you can kind of tear it down because he has got a heart of gold, really, as we find out later on. But yeah, it's just a product of his environment, the poor chap. I will say just, there's a line, I won't mention it because obviously we'll talk about the episode. I can't remember the which episode it is, but there's a specific line that I absolutely love the way he says it. And it's just because of Josh Holloway's Texan accent, but it's fantastic. So 
I'll save that one for later. Um, so getting towards the end of Tabula Rasa, so Locke finds Vincent, the bloody dog, finally is found using his makeshift dog whistle, <laughs> which I thought was a very even in the early days, a very lock thing to do. He knows what he's, he's a man about the island. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. I, I didn't even, I, I thought it was, I thought it was like munching on like a, like a, like a breadstick or something. I didn't know it was a, a whistle. Cause I've been, I'd have been quite low and I'd like subtitles on. So I was just watching him just blow this thing. And I thought, oh, he's having a little breadstick. <laughs> <laughs> he really does know his way around the island and to get some bread from somewhere. Just fashioned a breadstick out of uh, some leaves. <laughs> if anyone could do it, John Locke could do it. <laughs> So yeah, he. It's quite. It's quite nice. The um. The. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. You go. No, um, I, I this I think this was the first episode that did that thing that Lost kind of does a lot, um, where there's there's a, a a traumatic episode for for most of the running time, and then something quite nice happens at the end, and then have the nice sort of happy montage. You know where everybody's cheering and smiling at each other on the beach, oh. and then they undercut it with something right in the last second, which which they do here. There's like the close up on on Locke's face after he's he's rescued Vincent, and you're like, oh, what's what's up with him now? Um, but I think I think maybe half the episodes end that way with a happy montage, and then like your 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 stinger for for the next episode, um, absolutely, which I always liked because again, there's that there's that great score in in those moments, but. Um, Again, it's a bit of a lost trope, but it's a it's a it's a enjoyable one though. Oh yeah, because I I never wanted to go into like you'd it's a point of TV really, but you don't want to go into the next episode thinking everything's all right. You need that last minute kick in the nuts <laughs> to think, ooh, something's not yeah, quite right. And given that we've just mentioned that you know it ends on Locke's face, that can bring us neatly in to episode four. Which I believe is entitled Walkabout. Mm. It is. So, how many watched this one, Scott? Oh, sorry. That's my cue, isn't it? Sorry. Okay. That's your cue, mate. I can cut that out. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. I'll cut that one out. <laughs> Episode four. Uh, yeah, it's Walkabout. Um, and the week after, obviously, October 13th, 2004. Uh, it was directed by Jack Bender again. And written by David Fury, who was a prolific writer for um, Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, Angel as well, and a little show called 24. Damn it. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this, uh, yeah, so David Fury, um, I think he was an executive producer for 24 as well. So, this guy, he knew his onions. Um, both before and after Lost, he's, he's honed his craft a bit. Uh, and interestingly, this, I think I mentioned it, it said, uh, I think it was an, an increase, yeah, un, an increase of a million and a half from the previous week. So I said half a million earlier on, it's actually a million and a half. Um, and also, it was voted by IGN, but I put in brackets in my notes, who cares, I hate them. Um Agreed. The fifth best episode of the entire show. So, um, I think the constant is number one on that list. But again, 
hate IGN. So. And just to state, if anyone's listening, these are our views and nobody else's. Yeah, just because we don't like IGN doesn't mean that we, you know, others don't like them. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> endorsing them, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that it went up by that many um, viewers. I guess that was just good word of mouth from the first three episodes, I guess, that more people tuned yeah, in. Definitely. And I, I think there's I think... a known... Something that along the the, the fan the fanship call um, any episode which kind of gets people interested in the show is now called the walkabout effect because of the effect that this episode had <laughs> on Lost on its own so oh, well wow. transcended okay. its own yeah. yeah one of my notes that I made about this I think I think it's I think it's very easy to say that this is a sign already a significant chapter in the history of Lost obviously at the time you wouldn't have known that. But it it persuaded the viewers, I think, of the series, you know, existence basically how it could exist in the long term. Definitely, because um, it showed that you got all these surprises and mysteries. And I think one of my notes here, Lindelof has been quoted as saying it was considered like a litmus test for the viewership. You know, especially regarding uh, the twist around Locke which I'd argue is probably the first major twist of the series so far. Um, but also interestingly, from a production point of view, this was the episode that um, made ABC order a full series. So it was originally 13, and then they ordered the back nine, and it was this episode that convinced them to do so. So it's a fairly significant episode for the whole series, I think. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. Lots happened with it. So let's dive in then. So walkabout central uh, premise is Mr. John Locke, who I don't know about you guys, but he's definitely up there in top three for me, top three characters. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's a general lost thing, whether you like, ended up liking the show or not. He's just by far the easily the most interesting character anyway. I think Terry O'Quinn is the, the, the most... I think he's the best performer in the whole show. Oh God, no question. Character, but he's definitely the best performing actor, without a doubt. Yeah, I, love this. Yeah, I would like. Yeah, I would I'd absolutely agree. Even even when he's doing something that personally you wouldn't like, you don't think is best for the on the, the, the Islanders. You know, I'm thinking specifically. I think it's end of season three, start of season four. I can't remember where he's just convinced that the island is, is this thing that they don't need to leave. And you're just like, yeah, but John, uh, like, I get where you're coming from, but also uh, I really want these people to get off the island. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, he, he is the, the sort of... I think he's, he's the person that everybody thinks about when, when they think about Lost. I mean, yes, you have your sort of... your lead three of, I guess... Jack, Kate, and Sawyer, but he's always the first person I think of when I think of Lost. Yeah, he epitomizes the show. I think Hurley, Hurley, yeah. Hurley's like your heart and soul because he's, like we said last week, he's the nice guy. He's the everyman. And then Locke's the mysterious, interesting uh, representation, really, of the island in a way, in a very bizarre way. He's the one. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll get to it, but I'm pretty sure this is the episode where he sees the monster. 
Yes. We don't see it, obviously, but yes, he does. So, so that lends some credit, but... And he also doesn't so his fr- anything, does he? He says he didn't say anything. Correct. Which... So you're already a bit suspicious of him, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> and it also makes you think, why does he not want to eat him? Because it munched Mr. Abrams' best friend in the pilot, so... Do we actually find out what happened in that in that in that gap where um, Kate and um, Michael come back, and Locke doesn't? Do we find out actually at some point what happened when he sees Mister Smokey? Um, I don't know. I, like, I don't think so. That's when I was question. watching it today, yeah, when I was watching it today, I was like, "Is this just really fortunate? Is this good foreshadowing, or is it just really fortunate that Locke ended up being?" Uh, again, not to spoil anything. I know you've seen it, but it's like that Locke ended up being the manifestation of the smoke monster. Like, mm-hmm. is that just really, really good foreshadowing? Or was it just a stroke of luck? Um, Perhaps. Like, both. Because, yeah. I was going to say. Because so. through the story, um, they were brought to the island. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting lots of lost mythology here, but I just, when I was watching it today, I was like, oh, that's that's quite clever. Or incredibly lucky. Well, I think when you, especially with both with TV shows and with films, with uh, franchise films, definitely, they do try to retroactively, you know, make things fit. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. It just makes it flow better and it makes it more um, complete. So I don't, yeah, even if they did, if they didn't plan what they had planned for Lock later on, if they didn't have that initially, then. It's still, I reckon it's still, it's still really clever writing, in terms of the yeah. character. I think, I agree. I think it's yeah. like one of those happy accidents, if it's the case, because okay. it's like it's like one of those things that they just, yeah, we didn't plan it, but oh my god, we gave ourselves so much story here unintentionally. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember. I, I think it was um, Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if you you've watched that, but. Um, they came up with the, the the concept of the final five, um, like the, the the Cylons that were the, the secret ones. And when they came up with that, they didn't obviously know who they were going to be. So they, they sort of wrote themselves into a corner and just had to write themselves out of it. And maybe this was, again, I'm sure there's lots of instances in loss where the same thing happens. Um, and some people find the, the answers that they've come up with satisfying and uh, quite famously, some people don't in the case of Lost, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, as writers' rooms get a lot of get a lot of flack, but I mean, you have to be pretty clever to to write even a halfway satisfying conclusion to the, the mysteries that you've set up. Yeah, I think I think you're definitely right, and I think Lost. I can think of one instance much later on down the line, but when they introduced the Oceanic Six, I know for a fact that they introduced that plot line and purposefully didn't know which six they would have as like the survivors um yeah and i think they they had they had like maybe jack and kate spoiler alert for anyone who's (laughs) we're jumping ahead very quick but um yeah jack and kate were like the mainstays but then the other four they were very specific about when they introduced them over the course of season four in the flashbacks or flash forward should i say never spread out Um, yeah but yeah, but they purposefully did it in a way that they kind of thought, right, who is the most logical character to make it work with what's happening on the island as well as 
where our endpoint is. So that's the only example I can think of at the time. I mean, I guess you could argue the um, the monster itself already. You know, you've obviously not seen it, whether that's from a CGI perspective or obviously to keep the mystery of it. It's like Jaws, isn't it? It's, you know, don't don't show your monster just yet. It's more effective when you don't see it. But they can't really have known what they wanted it to be at that point, surely. That's no. that's it. Clearly, an example of writing oh, no, into no, a corner. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't, but I'm sure by like season five, season six, like their 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 board and their writers room must have looked like that uh, always sunny meme with Charlie. You know, <laughs> just red string pointing to every single character, Pepe every Sylvia. single instance of the monster. You know? Carolyn HR. There isn't a Carolyn HR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's just one of my favorite episodes of that show. Just him knocking on the door like Carol. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, digress. So, um, his uh, John's flashbacks. So, like we said last week, you get a very brief instance of him in the pilot episode, but he's not really focal as such, apart from to explain the duality of backgammon. Um. But this is the first instance where, and it's that beautiful thing again that we we liked last week where uh, flashbacks and other characters cross over in everyone's flashbacks. They see the same thing over and over again from a different perspective. But this is where John wakes up and he realizes he can walk again. Yeah. Uh, Wiggling his big toe. Couldn't help but think of Kill Bill. Just me, (laughs) probably. Um. And that's when Jack calls him over to help lift the wreckage of the survivor, and he's immediately called into action. And I get the feeling that, as you know, that's the kind of thing that immediately he would have liked. And he's not even thought about really the fact that he can feel his legs and he can walk. He's just like, "Yeah, I can do this. This island's great. Let's go." Called into action. But then you get yeah, the... absolutely. It, it, I think it's... Sorry, go on. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I just like uh, I've, I've written down here. I think it's a pretty good reasoning for why Locke would immediately believe that the island is special because who wouldn't in yeah. that case? You know, it it, it, it it's just it, it immediately makes you believe that he believes that this island is special. And even though I just said that, you know, he annoys me later when he keeps going on about that. But it's like it's just nailed on from that moment. You know that that he would he would believe this. He would be the the man of faith the jack's man of science you know it's again i don't want to keep talking about efficient storytelling but it really is well that brings me on i was going to use it in this example too but that brings me on to the whole generally the flashback the flashbacks as a whole from the you know very first instance of them to the very last uh the efficiency in which they uh make it so trying to get my words out here basically the way that they make you realize that you know you don't see his legs basically you don't know <laughs> he's always sat down yeah but you yeah. but it's always in a position where he's at work and you know oh i sit at a desk at work fair enough or i'm sat on bed on my bed when he's talking to his um phone sex girlfriend operator whatever <laughs> oh helen yeah but Helen, yeah, but there's all these examples, isn't there, where you just, you wouldn't be none the wiser. These are all regular things that everybody does. And then you get that first smack in the nuts right at the end where you're like, oh my God, 
because I, I, even now that's still a very powerful yep. end to that flashback for me i find um by the uh, the travel agent or the yeah 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 it's great and i think it's much like we said about uh jack as well that that whole flashback tells you everything albeit briefly you need to know about Locke as a character going forward Yeah, especially in these, these these early episodes, you know, you need that you need that quick hit to know who these people are. Obviously, in the next two or three seasons, we'll get you know the the flashbacks get even more fleshed out. But this early in the season, you just need to know. Okay, this is this person. This is their story. This is why they're the way they are. Yep. as quickly as possible to suck you in. And again, that's just the perfect perfect way to introduce Lux Lux's whole philosophy, I guess. Um and yeah, it's it's as you say the re- the reveal is kind of obvious in hindsight, but they hide it so well, yeah. and you'd never think that that would be the case. Um, and then there, there's the repeated mantra of uh, "Don't tell me what I can't mm. do." Yep. And again, with it just it's just it's just such a good uh, like it's it's really drilled into your head over the course of the episode. And then I was going to say, don't, don't you think is, that that line initially that's again something anybody could potentially say in that moment you know it's a it's a fairly natural thing to say don't tell me what i can't do if you're feeling a bit angry but then to know that later on down the line that's even that the origins of that line is even more fleshed out in this character it's again that Mm. efficiency of storytelling and knowing where they were going with these characters it just blows my mind it really does yeah (laughs) i made um, just really does i made a few notes concerning the episode Thought were really mm-hmm. some of the, there's some little funny moments and there's some very clever moments. Um, so, uh, in regards to Locke, so when we meet him in the flashback, he's in his little uh, um, at his desk and he's on the phone, and you hear the word that he's being called uh, Corporal, is it or something? Um, or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. and then we later find it's to do with a tabletop game. Um, but uh, his boss Randy, and asked for the TPS reports, and then there's a nice little Office Space reference. Have you seen Office Space? Um, yes, I've noticed. Yeah, I noticed that. Brilliant. Uh, I think a lot of um, shows and films based in that kind of setting nowadays tend to reference TPS reports whenever they can. So I like that. That was that was cool. Um, and uh, I've also noted down that Randy is a twat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, that, yeah, so but the bit I liked it is when uh, that I liked especially when they're interacting is when they're in the uh, they're in the uh, the canteen or like the, the staff common room and he mocks John because John sees himself as a leader and Randy mocks him for it and says like you know you can't you know you can't do it because you're uh, I don't think he explicitly says because you're a paraplegic but um, he pretty much alludes to the to that saying you know you can't yeah. you can't do you can't do a walkabout in australia you can't lead people um again nice foreshadowing um and on that same on that same line about john's paraplegia before we find out that john lost the use of his legs um there's a bit where they're collecting firewood and uh, some unnamed character walks to a frame with um john's wheelchair loaded up with firewood and I thought that was really clever <laughs> just kind of oh yeah just pops in about that. the frame I thought it was really nice I'm pretty I'm pretty sure as well oh, okay. um 
just to skip back to Tabula Rasa, I'm pretty sure uh, Charlie is using it to move some luggage at one point. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is using it. Oh, wow. That's even cooler. <laughs> There's just so many things I noticed in this episode. It's just, yeah, just really clever. And I suppose you can call it, you can like load it in with the mythology, um, you know, like all these little bits and pieces that, you know, look back on your notice. Um, it's even better when you're purposely looking for it, not being told. Absolutely. But you just kind of notice it just through, you know, just from, you know, just naturally just watching what's going on around it. Um, yeah, I might, there's a few other notes I've got here. Um, I quite liked the interaction between Claire and Jack when Claire's proposing about this memorial thing. Um, and Jack kind of says, oh, you know, it's not my thing. And Claire seems quite surprised by it because obviously Jack, up until now, Jack has been this, he's taken the lead on pretty much everything. But then when he's been asked to kind of um, publicly speak, I don't know. He seems uncomfortable with that, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, also we find out that Shannon is, you know, more of a cunt than we initially. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of, um, yeah. What does she do? She lures poor Charlie. Of course, she gets Charlie to fish yeah, for him. For takes her. advantage of poor Charlie and his good nature um, to to get a fish for her. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the it's clearly i'm trying i was trying to think back to was there some kind of like weird almost um uh what's the word uh ancestral relationship between boone and shannon i don't mm-hmm. know because they yeah there's a bit of that yeah as far as i remember i think they're like they're they're stepbrother like step siblings i think correct or like half half siblings. Oh, okay. The step the stepbrother and sister. So it's kind of forbidden fruit almost. Not really. Yeah, not blood related, but it's still a no go. Yeah. Well, come on, Tom. Let's not. Let's just. You know, <laughs> not always. Well, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry to sorry to Boone and Shannon. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um. Uh, yeah. No. I, there's a few other. There's a few other notes, but yeah. No. No. They're not really. Uh, yeah. They're not as good as those ones. I find. <laughs> well, I think the other thing the, to point out. Sort of oh, sorry, go on. No, no, no. You go. You go ahead. I keep interrupting you. So no, no, no. It's fine. Um, I was just going to say that I think the other big premise of this episode, just outside of Locke, is this is definitely where Jack's fighting fatigue and he is trying to do everything that he possibly can. And as we've already alluded to, he checks in with Rose. Um, I thought this was. I always thought this was a really lovely moment because. Is this where they just sat on the beach? Yeah, and she doesn't say anything. Initially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Initially, yeah. But I just, I just love that idea that she's just, she's clearly still in shock about everything, but she's absolutely certain that her husband's still alive, and he's Jack's just in his very Matthew Fox way, as we've already asserted. He just kind of says, "We'll just sit here; it's fine." And I, I think that's again sums up qualities that Jack has. But then also, and I guess we may not have known it at the time. But it also introduces uh, Christian Shepherd into the series for the very first time, even if he isn't portrayed by John Terry uh, at this yeah. point. No. But again, is this 
<laughs> was this amazing right uh foreshadowing on the writer's part or was this something that they picked up later because i'm pretty sure they've since confirmed that that was meant to be the man in black impersonating the you know the the dead people <laughs> right and not um just a manifestation of jack's mind correct yeah yeah i mean either either option would still make sense uh but yeah yeah retroactively saying if, it, if it's meant to be the smoke monster if any of those visions or um uh like ghosts if you want to call them ghosts of, of people's mm. loved ones if they're meant to be manifestation of smoky then fine <laughs> of course it still it still makes sense yeah and that- yeah i think doesn't that happen later on in the series as well with um isn't it what's what's the name of the the guy he's, he's one of the tail section he's like the like the preacher, um, Mr. Echo. Oh, Mr. Echo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Triple A. I love that guy. Doesn't he see like his, his, his brother or something? Oh, Yemi. So, yeah. I think, yeah, retroactively, they sort of. Oh, Yemi. Oh, I'm remembering it. Made that work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, one thing I'd like to point out as well, and this is something that blew my mind, and, and if they didn't write this in intentionally, they really struck gold here. Uh, and. Unfortunately, it means jumping all the way to the finale for a very, very brief moment. But the the very nature of Christian Shepherd's name, <laughs> and you think about what he does yeah. in the very last scene <laughs> in a church, shepherding them onto the afterlife. And I just sat there and I remember thinking to myself, you fucking geniuses. <laughs> now, you're... Just to skip back forward to this episode, if you're telling me that Lindelof and the crew didn't write that in on purpose, then you know, fair play. They they struck gold unintentionally, but I I no, you've got to write stuff like that in. I, I know we're jumping ahead, but okay, I'll say I wasn't a big fan of the finale. However, um people's people are named on purpose in this show, without a doubt. C- certain people are named on purpose. So it, yes. Yeah, so I can honestly admit that was very clever, and I think that definitely was something that they had. They didn't have it fully fleshed out on paper, but I think it was a concept mm-hmm. that they had in 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 like a rough draft form, at least. That that's where they were heading. It, it can't not have been. I'm sorry. Yeah. I find it too. It's too obvious. Hard to not believe it. Yeah, yeah, it's too obvious now. Too much of a coincidence if it wasn't. Um, yeah, it's just perfect. Yeah. Such a clever little clever little thing but yeah um i forgot where i was now just gushing about my favorite things about the finale but we'll get there eventually oh yeah this is a good one this so this is where the other if we've got like plot a b and c i guess there's lots of things happening here so we've got Locke in one then john in the other um i guess plot c would be the crew coming back from uh getting the transmission triangulating the transmission and we get attacked by the ball yeah is that this one? Yeah. Or the hunting for the boars? With the evil dead camera. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first of many examples of the evil dead camera yeah. in Lost, <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, funny little note that I've written. Uh, they had to obviously use computer-generated boars instead. Apparently, they'd actually originally planned on u- using actual domesticated animals. But they were too expensive to get from the US. <laughs> um, so they they went with the um, computer-generated bore instead. Well, you only see it for a, like, a, a fraction 
of a second if that um just mm. zooming past them but yeah i think that's where mm. the evil dead camera um is so it's it's obviously overdone in a lot of different media but it's so effective yeah um, really effective i think as well the cgi in this show i mean definitely in the early days it's it's not as bad as i remember it being because you get such little glimpses of the polar bear for example and i know we joked about you know last week it was clearly a model at times and things like that but you know the boars often when you see them if they are cgi'd in it's often in between leaves and reeds and things like that it's actually really well done to say it was a show that's going on 17 years old yeah there was a heavy reliance they tried to be as practical as they could using what they had to their to their advantage but like after something i remember following like last week with the polar bear i was thinking have any of you guys been to like america and i know tommy went in honeyman didn't you but um to disney didn't you but did indeed there's the, there's like a coca-cola store and you can go in there and you can get your photo taken with like a, a man dressed in a polar bear costume i was thinking why don't they just get that just that dude yeah just get that dude <laughs> it's like you know it looks it looks a real deal and you can just stand there yeah. it's it's you know why don't you get coca-cola bear he's just standing there just, <laughs> just drinking a pint of diet coke or something just chilling out <laughs> You're going to ruin the episode now that explains the polar bears. We're going to have to bring up Diet Coke polar bear again now, aren't we? Later on down the line. Why not? Um, I'm just trying to think where we end up. Where we end up in the end. Uh, oh, so yeah. Um, Locke obviously catches a boar for the first time. Everyone's getting very hungry. Uh, and this is obviously after Jax ran after the man in the suit, which is the manifestation of his dad. Um and they find that they've got the dead boar. So you've already got the the hunter of the group now. In fact, is this the episode where Locke gets out all his knives? Yes. That's <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, let's just talk about that for a minute because I just remember it's one of those things where it's like Crocodile Dundee where, you know, you call that a knife, this is a knife, but instead it's like 20 of them. <laughs> it's like, how did you get I think that knife? A... And he said, oh, checked it in. <laughs> Yeah, yes, there's a line, he's like, was that a carry? Charlie says something like, was that a carry-on? No, I checked it in. <laughs> so you you already know that Locke's more than capable of doing all this, uh, and he's going to be the main provider for a time anyway. And then I guess the final thing is, following on from Tabula, uh, Tabula Rasa, is putting all the fuselage together to hold a memorial service for the dead. But are um, they? Which again? What sorry? Say, but are they? <laughs> well, that's what the whispers are. I'm da, assuming, da, da, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's it's one of those moments for me personally that I think Lost always excelled at. It's quite a poignant. It's a very poignant moment, and it brings a nice little close to this very brief chapter of Locke because he sees his uh, wheelchair burning as well. Yeah. It's part of the fuselage. Um, so whilst Claire's reading off all these names, and you know, you're like, oh my, you know, all these people have died, and the, you know, sending them on the way. You've got this end of one life of John Locke, and now he's in the other. Yeah, I guess you can attribute the Tabula Rasa concept to him as well in this episode. Uh, oh, definitely. 
Yeah. Very, very good. Definitely. I never thought about that. So that's really good. There's also a bit, because we don't know a lot about them, I was kind of, I might be overthinking this bit, but uh, Jin starts to become a bit more concerned with, with Sun. He says that if she's like dirty, she needs a wash. And he kind of helps, you know, tells her to go and clean herself up, you know, before mm-hmm. um, Michael stumbles across her naked. Um, oh, is that this episode? <laughs> I believe so. But it was kind of, um, <laughs> oh, no, actually, let me just check. Uh, no, sorry, it's the previous episode. Ignore everything I've just said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just, oh, just based on that and based on, uh, sorry, based on John and Kate. Uh, what happened with them? Just seeing Jin suddenly, all of a sudden, just having a change in terms of how he is to to Sun. Um, that might, you know, to be the rest of the thing might come in to play with him as well. Um, yeah, I, I often find that episode titles are very more so now. I often look for it, but I think it's the, <laughs> the I say the fault of Lost um, that I look at episode titles now. So. Because they are just they are extremely important and will often give you everything you need to know about the episode, even if it's a twist that you don't expect. You know, walkabouts very self-explanatory in one sense, but then obviously you've got all the metaphorical reasonings behind it as well. So, I think that's a that's a key point that's carried on throughout the series. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as on the nose as saying finale or the end. I guess. <laughs> well, well, we'll let that one slide because you know. <laughs> but, then, but then, pilot could have double meaning. Because Absolutely. That's the, you know just a nice little quinky thing. And 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 you could argue that it's the only show that could really get away with that as well, yeah. given its nature. <laughs> I can't really think of any others. There's an episode in season two that I was reading about today. Well, not, I'll just say the name. It's called Two for the Road. And yeah. it was only today when I was reading about it that I realized why it was called that. And I thought, again, holy shit, you clever <laughs> bastards. But we'll get there eventually. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I only just realized, I've, I've watched it so many times and it's it's heartbreaking. But then I think, oh my God, yeah, that makes so much sense. Anyway, so I think we've come to the end again, guys. I think we we can call that a logical conclusion. Yeah. So how does it end again? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what this specific episode? Lock, lock, um, watching watch the, his chair burn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, watching the the wheelchair burn on the the, the funeral pyre. Yeah. I guess. And he has a little grin to himself. I think he has a little smile. Yeah. Such a smarmy. Bastard. But we know it. He is. <laughs> he he knows he's. You know, he's seen the monster at this point. He's lucky. He has got all the chips in his hand, basically. I think that's... I think he does. That's why he didn't tell them about Smokey. He doesn't want to give the game away. He doesn't want to give away the fact that he has all the power, effectively. Um, which he, he can knows use it. against Jack later on. So, very clever. Just one little tidbit. Can we please continue to call the smoke monster Smokey throughout the entire this entire podcast, please? <laughs> I think it's... I think that's a f- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I th- yeah, I think that's definitely. that's a perfect little name for it because I never I just always say the smoke monster but smoke is much better. Yeah. Right so. <laughs> right. Thank you guys once again. So and next week 
Yes, I was about to ask that. What's the next episode? Next episodes to come are, I will tell you because I have season one in front of me right now, is White Rabbit and House of the Rising Sun. And White Rabbit is a Jack-centric episode and House of the Rising Sun is Jin and Sun. Uh, yeah, that, if I remember rightly, that's, yeah, that's, a, is that the one? Yeah, sorry. No, I won't talk about it now, but I'm yeah, I'm excited to talk about that one. That's one of my favourite episodes from the season. Which one, White Rabbit or... House of the Rising Sun. It's a very good one, I yeah. agree. <laughs> it is a very good one. Wicked, right. Let me stop this now then, guys.